Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I uh, am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Uh, folks, I'd like to welcome you back. Uh, those of you that are regular listeners, I have got quite a treat for you. And those of you that are new listeners, uh, this will kind of open up a whole world for you, I think. Uh, my guest today is a gentleman by the name of Tim Shore. And I've had the great fortune of getting to know Tim. I was on his podcast not too long ago. And uh, the mesmerizing podcast, and, and I use the word mesmerizing for a very specific reason here. Not only is it the title of his podcast, but Tim is one of the world's top hypnotists, and he's a founder of a, of a, a method that's called One Belief Away. And we're going to be talking about belief systems today. Um, you know, this, this whole notion of leading an organization, uh, you run into belief systems about what can be done, what should be done. I mean, all of these things. And as leaders, we run into belief systems about how we're supposed to be um, that can either enhance our effectiveness or in many cases, actually limit what it is that we're trying to, uh, to make happen. So I've asked him to join us today because he, like I said, is one of the top uh, hypnotists in the world. But actually more than that, uh, he is one of the most effective people in the world in dealing with belief systems. Yeah, both in terms of accelerating a, a, a one that's working well, but also finding ways to actually break through the limitations that many people hold on to. And, you know, I've got this thing that I you know, kind of play with, you know, limiting beliefs can cause suffering you know, in, in our lives. Um, but the one way to think about suffering is I call it stuffering, stuffering. It's the stuff that gets in our way. So, you know, if we're going to be stuffering, I want to know what that stuff is and how can I move that stuff out of the way so that I can actually be more effective. So with that preamble, I want to just welcome Tim to the show. Tim, it's great to have you here. Uh, it's, it's such a pleasure, Blaine. And I love that stuffering because <laughs> that's, that's what it is, right? It's all the stuff that we have, all the reasons, the excuses, the evidence, you know, from our past that uh, seems to reinforce uh, why we think the way that we do. And, uh, but often that is not exactly what's going on. No matter what uh, challenge you have, you can almost always uh, trace it back to a limiting belief that was probably formed when you were just a kid. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole family of origin and dynamic and all of the stuff that we begin to uh, pay attention to and the uh, reinforcement that goes on with that. And, you know, before I have a filtering mechanism <laughs> that says this is, yeah, likely to be true, or this is likely not to be true. It all just drops in and becomes part of the gestalt. Yeah. Um, you know, um, the, the word suffering, and I'm, I'm going to mention this for, for a moment here. I, I did some study with, uh, not with, but of Milton Erickson's uh, work. 
um, just a phenomenal hypnotherapist. Um, you know, was a, was a uh, uh, an exemplar that uh, Bander and, and Grinder worked with you know, when they developed the neuro linguistic uh, uh, protocol. And Milton had this phrase that he you know, loved to use, and he called it uh, um, the uh, "Oh, my brain just went dead." Uh, <laughs> slight of tongue, slight of tongue. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and stuffering. I mean, it's it's the way that you know you can interrupt a pattern, and this is where I'm going with this. Yeah. Belief systems run in patterned ways, and they're because they're patterned, they're almost out of sight and out of mind. I mean, literally out of mind. Yeah. So if you can find ways to interrupt the pattern, you've got an opportunity to interject something different that can actually change the trajectory of everything. Yeah. As a hypnotherapist and as a hypnotist. Um, I want you to, if you would, enlighten us a little bit about, you know, the methodology because, and I'm, and I'm, I'm talking about this because for a lot of people, uh, people hypnosis kind of is in the domain of, you know, stage, stage craftery. You know, we'll see this up on a stage show in Las Vegas and go, isn't that cool? And look, they're barking like a dog. You're approaching this from a fundamentally different way as did Milton. Uh, there's, there's efficacy to this that is profound. So how have you actually gotten where you are and what are the, some of the ways that you actually uh, transcend that common thinking around what hypnotism is? Well, that's an outstanding question, Blaine. And so uh, most people, you're right, because of Hollywood movies and because of stage shows, um, the entertainment side of the business, uh, which has kept hypnosis um, in front of people for a long time. Uh, that is one phase of it, one side of it. The other side is more of the clinical approach, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, you're able to help people to uncover those uh, beliefs that they have or break bad habits or build more confidence or lower stress in ways that are a hundred times faster than, you know, most traditional therapeutic approaches, talk therapy and trying to be a positive thinker and things like that. So um I got into hypnosis because I was trying to get rid of my anxiety and I had no idea I was going to become a hypnotist. Uh, and I always say hypnotist instead of hypnotherapist, because I try to get the word therapy out of there. You know, just like when I went to, you know, was going to grad school for psychology, I was being trained to be a psychotherapist, you know, probably more psycho than therapist. And I didn't like either one of those words. So <laughs> I just call myself, you know, a clinical hypnotist. And, and so, um, uh, but it, really, I was just wanting to get rid of my anxiety. And so I went to school for psychology. And, and uh, while I was working on my bachelor's degree, um, one of the classes, they would have guest speakers come in and share what they do to help people. And one happened to be a hypnotist. And he asked for a volunteer. And I said, yeah, I'll cluck like a chicken. I didn't know anything about it either. And, and uh, but within five minutes, I felt a, a feeling of calm, a sense of peace that washed over me that I had never felt before. And I'm like, what is this? you know, and I was going to therapy and, you know, working with professors on stuff. And it was part of the part of the process. And I never felt anything like that. In fact, most of the time when I would talk about my problems, I would feel bad afterwards, or I would, you know, you dig up stuff from the past, and then, and then uh, you're left with it up oh, our hours up, you know, see you in a week, you know, and then you're left with that. And so, um, but this was completely different. I felt a sense of ease, a feeling of peace. And then I felt really confident. He told me in that suggestible state of mind that I was in that I'd feel more confident that week. And I did, you know, I felt more peaceful. I walked taller. I breathed deeper. I just felt better. And that was kind of unusual for me too. And so um, now, of course, about a week 
after that, it started to fade because I was good at doing anxiety, even though at the time <laughs> I didn't know that I was doing it. I felt it was happening to me. Right. And so um, so I got really interested in that. When I got my bachelor's degree, I was working towards my master's and I decided I'm going to go find a school, a hypnosis school and learn more about this. And I got my certification and and that time that I was getting uh, certified as a hypnotherapist, it was mind blowing all the amazing breakthroughs that I was seeing happening instantly. And then, of course, I had my big breakthrough moment because I was a horrible nail biter. I mean, I would bleed and just keep biting. And my uncle would tie me down and put hot sauce on my fingers and I would still chew them anyway. It was just, you know, lots of trauma. <laughs> and so, um, uh, but I got this hypnosis session from a woman named Dr. Gazella Zuskowski, who was running the, the certification program. And, uh, you know, that was, I never bit my nails again. You know, I have these, <laughs> these nice, beautiful, strong, healthy fingernails now, and it's been 30 years. And, uh, and that was really amazing for me. And so that's how I got into it. And I've had so many amazing experiences watching people transform in front of me, watching people achieve impossible goals that now, you know, I'm so uh, passionate about getting the word out there that we can end this needless emotional suffering. So I really appreciate all the work that you do and how, um, you know, you have this podcast, you share all the wisdom that you've collected and that you're allowing me to share some of my story on your show. So thank you, Blaine. Uh, oh, and my, my, my absolute pleasure, Tim. I, yeah, I'm just intrigued with the work that you do. I mean, you've, you, you personally have conducted over 15,000, if I've got the number right, over 15,000 individual coaching sessions with yeah. clients. And yeah, I was struck by something you said just a moment ago. Uh, I was good at doing anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and folks, I, I really want you to pay attention to that language uh, because, I mean, that that is a description of the power of how belief systems actually kind of function. I'm good at doing, because it's a pattern. I'm good at doing the pattern. Yeah. And I don't notice it because it's just kind of how I run. Yeah. So yeah. the yeah, getting people to achieve the impossible yeah, I've got this notion that you know, desire, desire is absolutely fundamental to any kind of uh, movement. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to be producing a result, I have to desire that result. But desire will always bump into a belief system of some sort, you know, when I start the movement. Yeah. So, yeah, it can either be facilitating the movement or it can, you know, in many cases, it actually constricts and inhibits the effective movement that could be, uh, <laughs> be yeah. produced. Much more often, that's the case. Much more often. So if I'm a business leader or if I'm a sales professional, mm -hmm. uh, how, do I, how do you work with me to, I'm assuming, first of all, notice its presence, and then how do we go about in mitigating its impact? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And that's exactly uh, what I did because I had a lot of business owners or executives or C-suite uh, members that were coming to me because um, they wanted to, to stop nail biting or they had a fear of flying or they wanted to stop smoking or I was helping their kids with something. And um, and they had such amazing results. They're like, you think it started off with, you think you could hypnotize my sales team, <laughs> you know, to make more cold calls. And I was like, well, sure. You know, I came from cornfield, so I didn't know really anything about corporate America, but I knew a lot about human behavior. Right. And so, uh, so I went in there and and people are filled, especially sales guys and sales women are, are filled with limiting beliefs, you know, fear of um, 
you know, getting rejected and, and having a hard time with time management and, you know, or getting back to customers when something has gone wrong, you know, they'll blow them off instead of calling them up because they don't want to get yelled at, you know, and so they have all kinds of beliefs that sabotage them. And when I started upgrading them, uh, it was amazing what started happening. And so um, you can teach a lot of strategy and you can give people the best plan and you can give them the whole playbook of here's how you do it. And, and then it's just a numbers game if you're talking about sales. But if they have those limiting beliefs that they picked up when they were eight years old, that I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'll be rejected. Um, you know, I, I want to chase people's approval uh, and, and I don't want to come across pushy. You know, we have a whole bunch of limiting beliefs just around what salespeople are. You know, the mm -hmm. old, I don't want to be a used car salesperson. And they have that slick people skills, pushy in your face kind of approach. And people do not like that. They don't want to be that way, most people. And, uh, and they're afraid that customers are not going to respond to that either. And so they just procrastinate and get stuck. And, you know, the best salespeople, as you know, have a belief that I create friends everywhere I go. I'm building relationships, not a sale, but a relationship of sales, a lifetime value of a customer through creating these strong relationships. So instead of going in and teaching the same approaches that you could get from, I'm sure you probably know Tom Hopkins. I had Tommy on my show and, yeah, and yeah. he's one of the best sales trainers there is, right? And, and, uh, and yet, if you don't upgrade the beliefs, then it doesn't matter how great your strategies are. And so I would go in there and start upgrading those beliefs and people were having dramatic experiences. And almost every time we would go back to some childhood experience where mom wasn't happy or dad wasn't uh, approving or they were embarrassed in the third grade in front of the classroom. And it's not the traumatic experiences. We all have what I call big T and little T traumas. It's not the experiences we have. It's the beliefs that form in our mind without our permission that are in our unconscious. Like you said, we're not aware. We're just doing what we do. We're not aware that these beliefs are even there driving our decision-making process. And, uh, and they've been influencing us since we were little. And so now we're in a habit of however we show up, we have these habits. So when you go and you upgrade those beliefs, I mean, I've helped companies to double their employee satisfaction survey scores uh, because not just by teaching how to have more respectful communication, although that's wildly important and most people are not good at it, but why aren't they good at it? And it's often because they have beliefs that, well, you got to protect your own, you know, people take advantage of you. You can't trust others. You know, it's a dog eat dog world, right? When I'm working with leaders who are having a hard time working with their, uh, with their teams, uh, before the pandemic, this was really strong. It's shifted a little bit now. But before the pandemic, the belief was, especially in middle management, I don't have enough time to get my own stuff done. How am I supposed to train somebody else? I can yeah. barely get my own stuff done, my own goals accomplished. How can I train someone else and help them to get theirs accomplished? This constant struggle between hitting your numbers and building your culture, you know, and growing your people and, and, you know, hitting your numbers would always win out and people would constantly struggle. So when you upgrade that and you teach people to shift from um, competitive to cooperative, I mean, I could go on story oh. after story, but, but you know it. So that's, uh, you know, that's how I've been doing it in companies. And it's been amazing. Well, you know, boy, I've got notes all over the place here. Uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, come back to here. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just work backwards. Competitive, you know, competition versus com uh, cooperation. They're one of the most profound beliefs that I run into in business 
is the is the belief that we need to compete in order to excel, mm-hmm. and and I that belief system is so insidious and so toxic in my experience, for a number of reasons. Once it's it's predicated on scarcity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, there's only so much to go around. Yeah, if I don't get mine, I yeah yeah. <laughs> if you get yours, I don't get mine. I mean, all of that sort of stuff. So. The idea of creativity, yeah, and cooperation comes with creativity, but a creative mindset versus a co- uh, competitive mindset. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just kind of kind of use that as our target for the conversation here for this next question or the question that's embedded here. You're, you're, you're referencing, and you used the word about five different times here, upgrading the belief yeah. system. Yeah. Not changing, but upgrading. Yeah, it's kind of like upgrading the OS, the uh, the operating system. The therapeutic approach is to change the belief, to go back in and yeah, just kind of spend you know, six months just kind of exploring and all kinds of stuff. Where yeah, yeah, the the uh, the, the the whole epistemology of where did the belief come from? Mm-hmm. Upgrading is different. I've got a hunch in the way mm-hmm. that you work with it because my 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 knowing of what the work is that you do is you get results quickly. Yes. Yeah, it's not you know, an arduous, okay, let's spend 14 days on the couch. Uh, <laughs> no, give me an hour. Give me 30 minutes. Give me an hour. <laughs> yeah. So the upgrading yeah. of a belief system, let's just take the, the belief system of competition is the only way to get ahead. Mm-hmm. That belief system, how would you upgrade that belief system to something more, uh, more generative okay. as an example? If I can just go generic with it. Well, that's great. So I love the fact that you caught that distinction between changing because personality doesn't really change that much. But, you know, like with my my phone, it upgrades all the time. It updates all the time. Right. In fact, a lot of times I can't even use my phone unless they allow it to update because it runs better and it protects from viruses and mental malware. Well, computer malware, but we get mental malware. Right. And so um, it upgrades. But the phone is still the same right? This just allows it to run more effectively. And that's why I talk about upgrading instead of changing. Um, Collaborative versus competitive. So a lot of times companies, it's okay if you're competing against uh, your competition, right? You're looking at what they're doing, you're figuring out where their gaps are and how you can make that your competitive advantage. You know, things like that can be okay. Sometimes competition can be healthy and it can be really good. But what I find is it's competition within the company, Departments mm-hmm. pointing fingers at each other, um, big sales floors turning into mini kingdoms, depending on the sales manager that they have, competing with each other, individuals competing with each other. And when you're competing with each other, you're not supporting and lifting each other up. One goes up and one goes down. And you both, uh, you and I both know that that's not a good way to lift an entire organization, right? And so, but I'll tell you a very specific story. So there was a, um, a VP of marketing. He was in this company and um, mid-level, mid-sized company and very competitive. It's how he was raised. He was in sports, very competitive, everything he did. And really funny sense of humor, but, you know, grew up in the seventies where everybody is sarcastic. Everybody's ripping on everybody else, right? So much sarcasm. And so he would have healthy sarcasm with all his employees and everybody else. And they would try to get at each other. Right. And I remember walking in there to do a training one time and he had one of these guys. Um, he, had, he had got a whole cardboard cutout of him 
wearing this and it looked like he was wearing a dress or something, you know, and he put it in the main lobby just as trying to be funny. The, you know, that oh, I got you, you know, with this cardboard cut out and and the guy was, you know, laughing about it. But I could tell it hurt his feelings because he really looked up to this VP, you know, and so many people in power positions, you know, think that the way they got successful was by being tough as nails and keeping people at an arm's length and being the money guy and focused. I've had people say that to me. That's how I made my millions, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but it's not taking you where you want to go. And you have all those fancy trophies in your case, but your people hate your culture. Right. Is that what you want your legacy to be? And so, you know, and he didn't care for that. <laughs> but again, you know, those pattern interrupts you were talking about earlier. So what I did was I got into his mind and shifted beliefs and helped him to go from what I, I used a metaphor from father to grandfather. And that made him tear up because fathers are still trying to prove themselves. And I've met fathers who said, I'll never let my kid beat me in a basketball game. You know, I'm going to show them. And which I always think, what are you trying to prove? Uh, you know, but, um, but grandfathers often don't do that anymore. They're more laid back, you know, and you're looking at how your, your dad treats your kid and you're like, who's that guy? <laughs> you know, I didn't, he didn't treat me that way. You know, he's giving him a pat on the back and I would have been having to run laps or something. And so uh, grandfathers are more mellow because they're older and have a little bit more wisdom, hopefully. And, uh, and so I helped him to understand that we need to be collaborative and your role isn't to assert your dominance. You're already awesome. People already know that you're a star. You need to focus on helping people feel like they're a star now. Yeah. And that completely changed his approach. He had to get rid of a couple of people on his team, unfortunately, because they were so in that energy with him and they couldn't shift it. And so some people had to move out, but it opened the door for new people to come in. Mm -hmm. Skip ahead a couple of years. Not only did it transform the whole company because he was such an influence and he became the grandfatherly supportive lift you up person, which was a big deal for this company. But it also there was a, a spot that opened up to become the president of that company years later. I was still with I was with him for six years. And um, and when I finally left, he was the president. You know, that he got that spot. Story. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to take a real quick break here. I, I, I want to continue with the thread that that, uh, that story actually exposes. Um, you know, you've got a program that I want to be sure that we actually talk about here, the power of your unconscious mind, uh, because this is essentially what you're, what you're addressing here. Um, and, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll take the break here. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole until we come back from the break. So folks, we're, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, I am talking with Tim Shore and you're listening uh, to this conversation which I hope you're finding to be very useful. Uh, I certainly am. I'm learning some amazing things here right now. And this is one of the things that I want to come back to. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up this thread. Specifically, I want to look at you know, father, grandfather. There's a really interesting notion here that I want to play with. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that 
site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Hello and welcome back. Um, before we took a break, Tim was talking about uh, this uh, client that he had that uh, actually had a fundamentally transform uh, transformative experience through the simple use of a shift in language. You know, what, you know, you know, one of the, you know, what energy will follow attention. And what I'm, what I'm focusing on is basically what I end up building my, uh, my, my reality around, uh, would be one way to think about this. Uh, I've got this idea that I'm playing with, you know, I, I, run, I run a program called the seven hidden laws of leadership. And one of the hidden laws is the law of vibrational fit. And everything runs on frequency. I mean, the, the entire universe is a, is a frequency machine. And, um, yeah, everything shows up, you know, the, 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 the table that you're sitting at, the desk that I'm at, the books behind me are all vibrating. They look static, but they're actually vibrating. There's frequency to them. Match the frequency and that you know, ends up showing up in my reality. Now, words have frequency as well. And this is where I'm going with this. Yeah, you know, the idea of using the word father in the way that you described it, proving, yeah, uh, controlling, guiding. I mean, some of the things that are inherent in the language that is embedded, you know, the meaning that's embedded in the word father, which is vibrationally going to produce very specific sorts of uh, results. Grandfather. I mean, when, when we're upgrading a belief system, and this is a, this, this is a great example of that upgrade process, upgrade the thinking from I'm a father, which was probably subliminal, out of sight, out of mind, I wasn't aware of it, but now I start thinking consciously of, as a grandfather, how would I approach this? The idea of, of, of using that kind of a process, it's so simple and it's so elegant, minimal unintended consequences, as a constant, yeah, as an offshoot of that, but consequences that are profoundly real, you know, down the road. He's now the president of the company. You've got a program, Tim, that uh, is called the, the Power of Your Unconscious Mind. And by the way, folks, just so you know here, um, Tim's approach is so effective. I mean, he's been featured on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News. He's got a couple of TED programs, uh, you know, TED Talks that he's done here. Um, and as well as a number of different books uh, that we'll talk about near the end of the, uh, the, the session here. But I specifically want to do a little bit of a dive into the power of your unconscious mind. Can you talk a little bit for the, uh, the, 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 the listeners uh, about if they were to take advantage of this, because it's a program that you're making available, what would they expect to see and how is it actually structured? Well, that's an awesome question. So 
I made the power of your unconscious mind program because, you know, 27 years of doing hypnosis, I've got some pretty amazing stories, you know, of, I remember um, there was a local weatherman, uh, meteorologist on a, on a TV show here in Indianapolis where I'm at, and um, um, they were doing a segment. He was doing the weather, and there was another segment, and uh, the main anchorman, Ray, was, was sitting just, you know, 100 feet away, and they were going to do it on spiders and animals, and uh, so he actually had a tarantula. Ray had a tarantula on his arm. Now, Jim, the weatherman was way on the other side of the studio, but he took one look at that spider and ran out of the studio during the live broadcast. I mean, he had a spider phobia, arachnophobia, right? <laughs> everybody was teasing him, you know, on the radio, all the jocks and everybody. And, and so, um, uh, and I, I heard him on an interview. I didn't think much of it, but I heard him on an interview, Jim, um, being interviewed. And he said, uh, well, you know, the only thing about it, I don't like spiders, but my dad heard about it. And I feel kind of embarrassed because my dad, you know, heard that I ran out <laughs> because of a, a spider, you know, and that, I don't know if it pushed something inside of me because I don't like to, uh, you know, feel that that needless emotional suffering. So I called him, called up the studio and said, you know, I could I could help him become the hero and turn that story around, uh, you know, and, and, you know, give me an hour with him. And uh, and I didn't hear anything back. And then um, a couple of weeks later, I get a call from a producer of the show. And she said, Hey, you think you could help him just stay in the room? And I'm like, if you give me you know, enough time, I could probably get that spider on his arm, you know, just like Ray did. And she almost hung up on me later. She said, I almost hung up on you because I thought you were so, you know, ridiculous. Um, she's like, well, that's okay. If you can just get him in the room, long story short, I only had 10 minutes with him because they kept doing these previews, previews, 10 minutes with him, And in that 10 minutes, I had that tarantula on his arm. That is the power of your mind. So I tell stories um, about people that have lost 150 pounds, you know, and completely changed their body, all these impossible goals, and yet people accomplish them. So whatever impossible goal you feel like you might have right now with your health, your money, your relationships, your self-confidence, the trauma that you've had in the past, uh, whether you have a situation at work where you're, you know, the turnover is just killing you or there, you know, the fear of mass and vaccines and, you know, or whatever else is going on. Uh, we can shift that. It's pretty amazing. So this program is uh, designed to share those stories and then give you some some mind hacks, right? Some shortcuts for how to use the power of your mind to create your life by design. And everybody that is subscribed to Blaine's podcast, you got to be subscribed. If you are, we'll give you a free copy of that. Uh, Tim, thank you. God, that's great. That's wonderful. Uh, and greatly appreciated. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to sign up. <laughs> You'll like Tell it. Me <laughs> uh, what's an example? You mentioned a hack. And I mean, yeah, I, I, I know a lot of folks, you know, John Asroff, uh, you know, Dave yeah. Vasprey, you know, all, 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 you know, yeah, Jack Canfield. I mean, these are all friends of mine and they all, you know, we all do hacks of some sort. Uh, yes. When you're talking about a mind hack in this context, what are you, what are you actually talking about? So there are, I created this other program called the Cure for Self-Sabotage. And I found that there were 10 core self-sabotages that um, people are doing all the time that they don't realize they're doing. And I see it consistently. And if you flip them around, it's 10 of the most powerful ways to use the power of your mind to create your life by design. And so um, one of them, for example, is by focusing on what you want instead of what you're trying to get away from. Because as you have said before, where your attention goes, energy flows, right? And so if you're focused on what you don't want and what you're trying to get away from, you end up moving towards it or attracting more of it to you. You know, so if you say, if you have a kid and you say, don't throw that toy, what do they do? They throw the toy because their brain doesn't hear don't, 
right? If you, if I want to lose weight or I want to stop procrastinating or I want to get out of debt, then you end up procrastinating more and, and being in debt and, and, uh, and people don't get that. And it's because that's what you're focused on. So I had a client come to me one time and she said, um, I want to stop procrastinating. And I said, okay, great. What do you want? She said, well, I want to stop putting things off. Outstanding. Well, what do you want to have happen as a result? Well, I want to stop being so unorganized. And I'm like, all your brain is hearing is procrastinate, put things off and unorganized. And that's why you keep doing that because it's all you're feeding your mind. What you really want is to feel inspired, motivated, productive, have, have things organized and in a state of flow so that you associate pleasure to taking action and comfort to going after your goal. Right now, all your brain hears is pain, 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 and our brain procrastinates uh, as a self-protective mechanism. We procrastinate because we've associated pain to the goal, right? And that's why when uh, in sales, people won't make calls because they're afraid they're going to get rejected or yelled at. And so they push away. So that's a simple of shifting towards what you want instead of what you're away from. Well, yeah, and, and again, that is so elegant. Uh, it's anybody can do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my exercise regime, uh, I want to exercise so that I'm healthy. Okay. Well, that's all well and good. Uh, but there's a for the sake of what that is deeper than that. And I mean, I love to teach. I mean, I, I, you know, very good friend of mine just passed, uh, Bob Proctor. Uh, you know, Bob was one of my best friends and he was 87. And in my mind, I see myself teaching, you know, when I'm 87, when I'm 90. But I know also that I have to be vibrantly healthy in order to do that. Yeah. So I'm associating the pleasure I get out of teaching with the exercise, which sometimes yeah. is an aggravation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. It truly yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but, the, the, but the pleasure associated, you know, the, you know, that, that association. Yeah. Behavior, and, and, and I'm just kind of checking this out here. This is an assumption. Behavior is always organized, in my experience, around the meaning that I've made up around the stimulus. Mm -hmm. Would that be a fair assumption? Yeah. So, and the meaning made up is another word for the belief. Yeah. So upgrade the meaning, and all of a sudden, I've got a whole different reality that I get to play with. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It opens the doors of possibility for you. And so not only did you start to associate more pleasure to fitness, you gave it a purpose and it became a mission for you. It, it yeah. becomes a set of values for you. You know, if exercise or what I call it fitness, because people have all these negative connotations to exercise, no pain, no gain, but fitness can be fun. We're going to get all fitness on, right? So when you have that, that fitness and it's a, in alignment with your values, it's in alignment with your purpose, you know, keeping your mind and body uh, in the best shape possible so that you can continue to be a vessel for good and you can continue to bring value to the world. Uh, that lights you up. You'll do it even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's um, not convenient. You'll do it anyway because you have a set of standards now that that belongs to. And so you'll do it because it matters. And that's very different from someone who just wants, I got to lose this weight because I can't fit in my pants. <laughs> yeah, because fitting in my pants is uncomfortable right now. So it's associated with yeah, discomfort. Yeah, It's just pain. Yeah. Just pain. And Tim, yeah, one last thing here. We're going to begin to wrap this up, unfortunately. this is, I mean, I could go on with this conversation for a very long time. Um, you use you use the word possibility here, and I'm I'm keying on that <clears throat> because 
Yeah, almost all of my work is in the domain of leadership, leadership development, leadership effectiveness, um, those sorts of uh, things. Leaders, in my experience, highly effective leaders are leaders that can bring possibility into visibility Mm. so that uh, it now can be seen as something that's probable. And if I can make it, if I can make the possible visible, it becomes probable. If it's probable, it has a very high likelihood of becoming real. Yeah, so that yeah. migration between, you know, to, from possibility to probability, it, and, and this is just kind of what I'm checking out. That is my sense of where you actually are excellent. And then the, the move from probability to, to reality is just kind of a natural migration. But the, the heavy lift is bringing that possibility into a probability. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, um, you know, when I started out my career, there were so many tools and techniques, and there still are these new techniques. Everybody's an internet guru now, and and you're going to change your life, you know, in 10 minutes doing this, and you don't have to do anything kind of approach. And so I've always been a little skeptical of that, as many people are. And so I've had this prove it mentality, right? And so, um, so if we are talking about making something that's a probability uh, visible, right, which means show me and let's see if this actually makes you know, things happen. When I got into working with companies, they started asking me questions like, well, what are your KPIs? I had no idea what that was. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, but what they were looking for is how do we measure this? Right. How do we prove that this is worth the investment that we're going to put into it? And of course, now we have that. But you know, then um, I'm like, well, let me show you, right? Because you don't have to wait for months. You're going to see it at the end of this meeting. You know, you're going to see it in people's attitude and how they talk to one another and how they high five each other down the hallway and how they are uh, more supportive and patient when they're responding to emails, you know, and um, uh, more respectful or more clear with, with their expectations and assumptions or whatever it is that we were working on. And you're able to see it immediately. And then it's sustainable. You know, I'm all about sustainability, right? So we go from Probability, I had to write it down. It was so beautiful how you said it. From probability to visibility to sustainability, right? <laughs> and so, probability, yeah, the way we go. It's a migration, yeah. It is, yeah. It is a path and it's a proven path and it's a replicable, replicable, <laughs> a duplicatable path. You know, you can, <laughs> you can replicate it, right? And so, um, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's exciting. And I am good at that because I've been practicing it for 27 years. And so I, you know, I've been in this game of psychology for 32 of them. I had a lot more hair when I started, Blaine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we're going to end on, I'm good at doing that. Just, we began with, I'm good at doing anxiety. We're ending on, I'm doing, you know, I'm good at doing excellence. So you are an an exemplar of what excellence is about. Um, where can people find out more about both you and also the program? So it'll be in the show notes, I'm sure. But if you go to Indy, you know, Indy Hypnosis, I-N-D-Y Hypnosis.com, if you're interested in the hypnosis, uh, TimSure.com, if you're interested in what I do with companies. Uh, and then, of course, PowerMindsetProgram.com, uh, PowerMindsetProgram.com, if you're interested in getting your free copy of The Power of Your Unconscious Mind. Beautiful. And 
take advantage of uh, Tim's offer on that, folks. Uh, you know, it's going to require that you subscribe if you haven't already uh, to the podcast, but that's a no-brainer. All you have to do is click yes. Uh, so <laughs> been listening to uh, my good friend, uh, Tim Shore. Uh, just an absolute joy to have you on the show and uh, actually have a- another conversation with you uh, that has been as rich as the, the previous ones. I- I've loved this. Thank you very much. Uh, it is such a pleasure. Yeah, you are the definition of mesmerizing on my show, and it's such a privilege to be on yours. So thank you very much, Blaine, for all you do. Well, folks, you've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, you can find out more about what I'm up to at blainebartlett.com. Uh, all kinds of resources there. Uh, feel, you know, feel free to take advantage. Uh, it's all yours for the taking and for your use. And until next time, have a great rest of uh, your day and find yourself ways to be a center of distribution, not a center of accumulation. You'll have a much richer life. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.